Welcome back to Noble Warrior. My name is CK Lin. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to create and scale purpose-driven organizations. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about mental models. We're going to talk about actionable tactics such that you can go out and create and scale your purpose-driven organization. Today's guest, she coached 50-plus international chapter leaders to run their local communities on their own. She grew a movement from eight people to 3,000-plus people. She has a known superpower in her community as a community builder. Please welcome Kimberly Hahn. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So you and I, we met back in Awaken Futures Summit last year, 2019. Mm -hmm. And you had literally just ran the conference last weekend. So why don't you give us a little bit of a highlight, if you could, if you're willing. What are the three most promising technologies, talks, thought leaders that you've come across that was most memorable for you? Um, I think there were two that really came to mind. One was Tim Chang, and there is just such a humility that he comes with when he speaks that there's so much that he doesn't know, even though most of us see him as an incredibly knowledgeable figure. And then the other one that I feel like is, is super promising is Rick Doblin, who's been working on doing trials for psychedelic therapy for 30 years and he's still working on it. And that is a true example of someone who like picks a purpose and a zone of genius. And they're like, I'm going to do this no matter what it takes. And, and I think those, those two were really inspiring. Was there any specific insights that you gather from what they share? In Tim's case, it's, it's being able to model humility, humility as a public figure. Mm. And that I think is insight in itself. It's not necessarily the content that he shared. Mm. It is more the, the way that he is approaching life and seeing the world and mm. being a model of that already being a public figure. Mm. And, and Rick shared a lot of promising studies that might be coming out, like that MDMA research or therapies might be coming out in 2021 or 2022. And that was really exciting for me because I, I just didn't think that it would be so soon. I always thought it would be sometime in the distant future, but it's the not so distant future. And, and they have, they, there have been some really impressive results for PTSD patients. Mm. So the research results will come out, not the approval. Is that correct? The approval will come out. The approval they, will come out. Yeah. Wow. If they, if they do their work right, if things go well, they are wow. predicting that in, in a couple of years that, that there might be an approval. Wow. That's exciting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just got chills from the possibilities of that, right? Mm -hmm. I think mental health is one of those things that there's still a lot of stigma around and actually goes nicely with the, the way you articulated Tim Chang's case, the humility mm -hmm. aspect of it, right? Can we just be human and talk about mental health as physical health, right? Just like there's no difference in my mind. 
Mm -hmm. um, it's totally okay to be stressed. It's totally fine. It's totally okay to go see a therapist, a coach, attend workshops to really take care of your mind, right? Mm -hmm. So I think having the MDMA uh, approval come out, I actually would normalize this type of conversations in a the therapeutic mm -hmm. sense, but, but just like how cannabis, marijuana did for and normalize that behavior, I think that would normalize more and more of this uh, mental health, mental fitness yeah. arena. Yeah. Another beautiful thing that came out of it was that those words were spoken by someone who looks like us, is Asian. Asians don't like talking about mental health or mm. don't want to admit uh, anything psychological that could be different from the societal norm. Mm. So that's another beautiful thing that came out of it, in, in my opinion, mm. especially for the Asian American community. Yeah. There's this whole concept of, well, looking good. I mean, ultimately it comes down to that, right? I want to make sure that I look good to you such that I'm, a, I'm perceived as a strong member in the community such that I'm not, what's the word I'm looking for? Ostracized from mm -hmm. societal norm. So, yeah, so I love that. Every interaction I have with Tim has always been, as you said, very open about his whatever ups and downs of personal things is happening in his life. And I'm always impressed by that level of openness and vulnerability and transparency. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah. What does it mean to embody humility for you? Yeah. It's really interesting because I, I wrote a, I wore a bracelet that said humility on it from Wisdom 2.0 last year until this January. And then I gave that bracelet away to my friend, Nick, when he came to visit. But, but humility has been a concept for me that is really very much on the forefront of my mind because I feel like I don't embody it fully yet. It is one of the values that there, there are certain values that I'm like, yes, this is me. And humility is one of those values that I'm like, that's not me yet, but I do want it to be me. And my definition of humility is to feel so enough that I never need to prove myself, that there's nothing that I need to do in order to prove myself. Mm. Okay. So say more about that. Like, how do you embody that, right? Because let me contextualize my, my, my question a, a little bit. In my mind, there's a polarity between confidence and humility, mm. right? And, 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 and as, as all my podcast listeners know that the answer is somewhere in the middle. I'm not saying this is better or that's better. It's always both. It's always both. Mm -hmm. So then... How do I be so whole, be so confident in oneself, in myself, such that I don't need to get your approval or validation as a way to compensate for my lack of, right? So that's, that to me, to me is true humility. And also knowing that I have something awesome to offer as well. So you got to have both. So, so speak more about, if you, if you will, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you navigate the polarities of both? Yeah. First of all, I wouldn't say that I embody it fully yet. It's still a, a process and a journey for me. And yeah. I think I might disagree with you that there's a polarity. Okay. 
I think that they stand on their own poles. Like humility is here and confidence is here. And there is some crossover. Mm. But I think that it requires confidence in order to be humble. Mm -hmm. Like it requires enough confidence for me to know that I don't have to prove myself. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of... enoughness or pride that we have to have in Mm. order to not have to prove ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I actually think that confidence is required for humility. Mm -hmm. But you also have seen people who are falsely modest, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. The behaviorally, they look and act and talk like someone who's humble with humility but you can kind of tell they're really fishing for that compliment. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and I've totally done that before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that there is a certain sense of not feeling confident enough that needs to, that needs approval. And I think approval definitely is one of those human needs. Like I think mm-hmm. it's one of the, I was reading it 15 commitments of conscious leadership, a book that I love that we've talked about before that there are four basic human needs there's approval, there's security, there's oneness or belonging connection. And then what is the fourth one? Security, approval. I don't remember the last one. Growth? No, I actually have the book right here with me. Okay. Control. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And I think that approval is an important part. And at the same time, I think like if we can start generating that from within, which is a a journey that I'm currently on, then we'll need to source it less from the outside. Yeah. And let's actually go meta meta just for a moment. Okay. Um, Because we're talking about a learning journey ultimately. Mm -hmm. And from my point of view, learning journey starts with unconscious incompetence. Like, I don't even know I suck, right? Mm -hmm. Conscious incompetence to like, I know that I suck. To conscious competence, like with effort, I know I can emulate someone with humility, let's say. To unconscious competence, like, oh, I'm just, this is a part of me. This is so normalized. This is so effortless for me. I'm just being the way that I'm being without really trying to be humble as an example, right? So when someone tells me, hey, I embody humility right away, I know this person is uh, <laughs> probably not the case. So I'm curious to know your point of view about the the learning journey. Uh, what, what's your yeah. metacognition model when it comes to learning? just because i've been at the conference and we were talking about integral theory of wake up grow up clean up and show up that one's in my head i do i do hear what you're saying about the um, unconscious incompetence and that journey and i think that i still oscillate between all four i think that like i go through the the journey and then sometimes i see myself bouncing back because 
I realized that I'm doing something and then suddenly I become conscious of it, but it took me a second. I was in unconscious of my incompetence. And then I would say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't acknowledge that thing that you just said. So I was incompetent for unconscious for a moment. And then I was conscious for a moment. And then I would say, sorry, let me try this again. And then maybe the next time I would acknowledge it without noticing that I was acknowledging. So I think I still bounce back all four. And so, yes, it is a journey, but I also acknowledge that I'm, I'm still in all four of those at, at times during five minutes. But what you just said perfectly illustrates to me someone who is humble, right? Mm. Someone who is the opposite of humble would be, I'm always right. I know what I said, but I'm still right. Even though I flip flop and I'm still right, I'm still right. I'm always right. Mm -hmm. There's no way that I'm not right. Like right away for me, that's the opposite. What you discover, what, what, what you share. Yeah. To me, someone who's humble is exactly as you said, because we're conscious beings with choice and we're not a hundred percent conscious, right? There's a lot of automaticity going on in our life in the moment we're aware that, Hey, what I said isn't congruent with what I'm committed to. I'm so sorry. Let me say that again. I checked out for a moment, but mm -hmm. let me be conscious again. So that behavior perfectly illustrates someone to me who is not only conscious, aware, but someone who has the humility to admit, I'm so sorry, I'm wrong. Let me recorrect mm. myself. Thank you. Yeah. There's a part of me that still wants to argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Of because, course you do. Because, because there are moments that I still am trying to be right, but sometimes I'll apologize for it. So I'm, I'm like trying to close that loop a little bit more, but there are still moments that I'm still like, yes, I'm right. I'm right here and I have to prove myself. So let's talk about, I, I know we're kind of going off topic quite a lot because I do want to talk to you about community building. Okay. Yeah. But the function of I'm sorry or I apologize, mm -hmm. I think to me is huge because, but there's two schools of thought. Mm -hmm. One school of thought is I never apologize. I just back it up with my action such mm -hmm. that I don't need to say the words. The other school of thought is first start off with I'm sorry, I apologize such that the other person knows that you regret your words and actions, mm -hmm. and then you can proceed on doing something else. Communication is key. What, what, where do you lie here? I think apologize if you've done an action that hurt somebody else or was misaligned with your commitments, but don't apologize for being, don't apologize for crying or being sad or feeling a certain emotion. Yeah, if you didn't do something that was out of alignment, I don't, I don't think that there's any need to apologize. Okay. All right. So let's put that on the side. Let's talk about community building for okay. a moment. All right. So right. your reputation is someone who can catalyze community, right? And you've done that for once along. You've done that for consciousness hacking. You're doing that with Awakened Futures Summit. And I'm sure... Oh. I these, are, I'm doing these, are the ones, these are the ones that I know. I'm sure you mm -hmm. do a lot of other things, right? So with that said, could you actually, before you tell us exactly how to do that, one assertion that I wanted to make here is our superpowers, 
comes from our biggest wounds per se. So what mm -hmm. did you have to overcome in your younger days such that you develop such a um, skill for relationship building, for uh, community building? Yeah, I would say sometimes our superpowers come from our biggest wounds. And I think that I experienced loneliness, but not to the deepest degree. I think there there was certainly a few years in middle school that I was lonely and felt very invisible and played a lot of video games, Diablo 2 specifically. Mm. Um, but I don't think that I was ever in the depths of that. Mm -hmm. That I was so lonely that it was unbearable. So what inspired you to cultivate the skill of relationship building and community building? It was never conscious. It was a, like, I guess it was a, a an unconscious competence. It was a divine I, gift. <laughs> I guess so, like it started happening. I, in high school, I guess the earliest memories of me doing this are in high school where I would, I, I lived pretty close to school. I, I grew up in Taiwan and I, and I went to a school there in Taipei and and I would invite my friends over to my house and I would give them food, just like my mom did to her guests. And, and that would happen every single week. And then when I moved to Seattle for university, I was a tango teacher at the time. I would be hosting all the potlucks and all the clothing exchanges and the boozy tea parties for the women in tango so that we could get to know each other because we were always dancing with the men. And like a bunch of the teachers in Seattle, the tango teachers would be practicing at my house and coming up with curriculum. And so it just kind of, it fell into that. And I kind of fell into salon and uh, fell into all these things that were happening without me necessarily trying to hone, to hone my skills until probably in the last year or, or so was mm -hmm. when I started to hone my skills. But that's after building a lot of like different types of communities, including sales mastership or full moon runs, which were, you know, going to the beach every full moon. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, so I guess it was accidental. Well, let me counteract that for, for just a moment here. It's, it's not really accidental because it wasn't like, ta-da, all of a sudden there were 50 people in my house making food, dancing tango, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> it's because that would be a pure accident. Like mm -hmm. it wouldn't fall of parties happening in my place spontaneously like that. Yeah. But it does require effort and intentionality for you to say, hey, let me do this. So what I'm hearing you say in between the lines was this was something that you wanted to do. You enjoy having those people in your house. So therefore you took the action to invite them over because it's something that you wanted to do anyway. Is that accurate? I, yeah, it was something that I wanted to do anyway, and I wanted to do it in my home. Bit of a homebody. Mm -hmm. So I guess, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the first time I, I did, I, I was writing this down. I'm a little bit of a personal development nerd, so I have written down all of these memories recently in the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. One of the memories was one woman in Tango approached me at a dance called dance underground in Seattle. Mm. Her name is Joanna Schwartzkopf. And she said, hey, I want to put together a boozy tango party for the women to meet each other because they don't know each other very well. Do you want to come? And when I went, I loved it so much that I started co-hosting them with her. 
mm-hmm. sometimes in my home. And so I think there was like kind of a teacher there with Joanna Schwartzkopf mm-hmm. um, way back 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and also I went on this program called Semester at Sea and I was still mm-hmm. really shy at the time. And in Turkey, I was asking my friend Colette Kai mm-hmm. and we were traveling together and she was always so good with people and meeting strangers and talking to them. And I remember we were sitting at a bar in Turkey and I was like, how do you do it, Colette? Like, how do you just talk to strangers like that? And she says, you just got to do it. And then she's like, see that person over there? You're going to go say hello and ask them how they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling so scared because I wasn't good with strangers at all at the time, unless they were coming to my tango class or like they had off in the first place Mm -hmm. and I went over and talked to that person we had a conversation all all of us together and I think that was like so I've had like little teachers along the way and there were so many of them for for so many different instances I think those were kind of my starts if that's the question that you were asking Mm -hmm. so you had basically your friends who egg you on you have a provocateur you had you had a catalyst your friend push you against the edge of your comfort zone definitely and then and, and then you continue to choose yes to to do it mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. how you expanded your comfort zone totally mm. yeah but i wasn't trying to grow a community from eight people to three thousand mm-hmm. i simply when i when i went to one salon i didn't found one salon a lot of people think that i was the founder of one salon and i am not my friend kurt started the san francisco chapter of one salon and and, and I, I came probably on week two mm-hmm. and, and then they kept asking me if I would teach tango. Cause I was still a tango teacher at the time when I was coming to one salon and mm-hmm. they kept asking me the day before, like on a Monday and salons were on Tuesdays mm-hmm. and every week they're like, Hey Kim, will you teach tango tomorrow? And then one week. And I said, and I was a professional and I had been for a long time. I said, look, I'll teach tango for free which I don't do much, but I want to do it for this community, mm-hmm. but I need a one week notice. Mm-hmm. And it was always the day before that they asked me. And I finally, finally one day they said, sorry, salon is canceled tonight for tacos. <laughs> I said, Guys, do you need help finding speakers? And they were like, Oh my God, thank you. We've been meaning to ask you for help. <laughs> and that's how I got started with one salon. I started helping them find speakers. And then we would meet for 20 hours a week, putting together spreadsheets of like, how can we make this community better? And it had nothing to do with mm-hmm. grow it. Mm-hmm. We just wanted something that was consistent every week. And for many people, it was like a secular church. Mm-hmm. There's a place that you can meet every Tuesday, no matter what mm-hmm. topic or no topic, the kind of the same types of people who are social and cultural and intellectual and wanted to grow. Mm. And so I, I feel like I kind of fell into that. So there was a bit of luck involved. It wasn't so intentional. Have you ever watched Derek Seaver's TED talk? I believe he's his first one. It was like four minutes long, but he was, he shared this video of a, I think it was a musical festival or something like that. There was this just crazy guy dancing wildly. And he was using that video as a way to illustrate the importance is not on the leader. The importance is on the second follower. Mm. And then soon after he shared this video, followers showed up within like 30 seconds or so. 
So he illustrated how the leader taught the second follower how to dance, how to move, etc. And then soon after, within literally two minutes, it went from one crazy guy dancing, two two crazy guys dancing, to hundreds of crazy people <laughs> all together, all because of the second follower. So mm -hmm. in the way that you illustrate how once along grew, you volunteer and say, hey, I'm willing to help, help you guys organize the speakers. And then boom, it went from eight people to 3000 collectively mm -hmm. you know, with, with all of you guys working together. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate at all to kind of the evolution yeah. of how it grew together? Yeah, it's very much, I, I think my ego wants to be one day a founder. And, and also the trend has been in my lifetime, I've seen that it's possible. So I'm going to help. And it's same with consciousness hacking, which was founded by Mikey Siegel and just a wonderful human being. And I was like, I love your vision. I love these people. I want to help you. And same with, in fact, sales mastership. It was a sales it was kind of a sales event meetup back back when I was working in technology and in tech sales. Um, I was like, this this needs to happen. People need to connect with each other in a way that's not so superficial. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm frequently not the first person, but close to the second. Yeah. I mean, for the people who are listening to this right now, they may probably think like me, like, for example, I'm thinking like, man, I wish more people are like you, right? More people, not only with good intentions, good ideas, but who's willing to just help to grow something that they believe in. Mm -hmm. So have you come across, are you like a unique unicorn where <laughs> are hard to find? Or do you, have you met other people like you? I guess it would be a better way to ask that question. And when you say like me, you're talking about like that second person who wants to make a push or yeah, yeah, yeah. someone who, who is willing to put their energy behind something that I see is promising and, mm -hmm. and see it through. Right. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people would be like that. Yeah. But describe, I have to yeah, help us distinguish, like describe some of the attributes that you have. Maybe not you personally. Let's let's distance, mm -hmm. you know, depersonalize you personally, but the other people that you have met who have similar traits, similar qualities, similar characteristics. Describe, yeah. you know, them for us such that, you know we can identify and point them out like, Oh, I know this is what CK and Kimberly were talking about. Yeah. Okay. So, so people who see a vision It's easier. If I just say I, I guess I see a vision and if it perfectly aligns with my purpose, then I'm going to go with it. Like it was my purpose to begin with. I don't need it to necessarily be mine. I'm trying to think of people who are like, I can't think of someone who's exactly like me because every individual is different, but someone that I can think of is my friend, Brandon Lee. And we do, we've been doing personal development every week for 90 minutes for the last 11 months. Now we're wow. doing it for three hours because it's wow. just getting more exciting now. Wow. But he, um, when he sees something, he really wants to help it take off and grow and expand. 
And he's done that in flipping houses. And now he's like, you know, now he's working at a startup, but secretly what I want him to do is do the exercise that we had done earlier this week on figuring out people's zones of genius by naming eight memories where we were so in flow, where we forgot, like that we had so much fun and we were so good at something that we forgot that the world existed, that everything melted. He'll listen to that and he will like tell you who you are in your essence. And I kind of want that to, to be his own, but, but yeah, somebody like Brandon and we have different, different traits in other ways, but he also, I feel like springboards off, I guess a springboard might be a good analogy. Mm. Yeah. Wow. A multiplier, a catalyst, mm -hmm. a springboard. Yeah. Mm. And someone who gets excited, right. Who's yeah. enrollable, who's a yes to life, you know? Yeah. Um, versus someone who is like, nah, it's not going to work. Here's why, 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 why. And, and like a sideline coach. Uh, Which I'm like that too, for the things that aren't aligned with me. So I'm, I'm a yes on things that are really aligned and I'm a no on the things that aren't. Okay. Got it. All right. All right. So, so let's reverse engineer movement, right? Let's okay. talk about community for a moment the atomic unit of a community is relationships. Okay. So can I segue into relationships? How would you, are there particular way about you cultivate relationships with people? So I think there are two different things. One is my personal relationships with people. Mm -hmm. and I have a handful of very, very close people. Mm -hmm. And then there's cultivating relationships between two people that may not have to have me in that relationship. I didn't understand. They're, they're right. kind of separate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which one do you want to dive into first? Let's do both. Okay. Yeah. The way that I connect with people, you know, I am not, historically a very vulnerable person mm -hmm. and I don't even think that I was very authentic either mm -hmm. which means that I always wanted to have my best face forward and that people mm -hmm. saw that I was doing well and that I never needed help mm -hmm. and the friends who are the really close ones have seen me through some shit mm -hmm. like heartbreak or getting caught by a riptide or <laughs> just feeling really lost so I think they happened to be there during that time. And like either the universe told me that I had to be vulnerable because I'm in the middle of the ocean and they have to call the cops. Or I, I let people who are close enough to me to see the moments where I was crying or um, just upset or heartbroken. I think those are, are generally the good friends that I have though I have a lot of more superficial connections who probably haven't seen that side of me. So I guess I'm not so different from most people in terms of connections. Like I have some small number of close friends and then some large number of acquaintances. Would you say, so first of all, congratulations, because very, I think more and more people feel not be understood and more and more people feel like they don't have true friends. Right. Maybe we may have 5,000 Facebook friends, but when the time of need comes, 
who can I count on, right? Yeah. Handful of people or no one. So that would be a very dreadful place to be in, I think. Mm -hmm. So congratulations for having a good, a close group of people. So other than putting yourself in dangerous situations and going through the shadow or going through the shit and to have them witness you, what are some of the ways that you cultivate mm. um, the depth of your relationship such that it goes deeper and deeper, not just longer yeah. and longer? You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess I'll start from the very beginning of the relationship. I, I generally try to be the first one to give. Um, Adam Grant wrote a book that I never read called Give and Take, but my friend told me about it and I really resonated with the concepts in it. And to like, I tend to gravitate towards other givers. So when somebody comes over, I want to offer them tea and I want to offer them things or experiences or connections. And then I, 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 I see if there are people who want to offer back. And those are generally the people that I gravitate towards. But not everyone will try to gravitate towards giver. That's just my personal preference. And, and then in time, I start to host things and invite them to things. And I prefer homes because with homes, you have unlimited time. You don't have to get kicked out of a restaurant or an event or like you have to run off to go home to do something like if I invite them to my home for a potluck, sometimes 30 minute conversations have extended to two hours or 16 hours. Like this, this has literally happened before. And so inviting people to my home to have conversations, it feels like there's a luxury of time to get to know them. I've had probably dozens of people sleep over at my house for hundreds of nights in the last five years that I've lived in San Francisco. And also when I was traveling abroad because the conversations got too good and it got too late. And so having a home situation is really great. Other things that have gotten me really close with friends are like friend retreats. We go off for a few days with people that I wanted to get to know better. And suddenly when we spend that much time together, we are literally just with each other all the time. And for some of the friend retreats, something that I love about the group that I, I, I spend a lot of time with is we'll have a piece of paper, like just a regular piece of paper, and we'll write our names on it. And we'll write down all the ways that we love love to be shown to us. So it might be love languages. I mean, we started to get really familiar with our own love language and the love languages of those around us, even if they're not our preferred language. And we try to learn how to speak each other's languages. Like, so for me, it's acts of service, but for, I, I have some friends who it's words of affirmation and I really need to struggle and say, I want to get better at showing you love. And I don't know how to say, so please bear with me. And they'll write down, like, I want you to say that you appreciate me in X, Y, Z ways. And so then it becomes a little easier for us to learn each other's languages. And for me, I'm like, I really appreciate it if you gave me uh, a massage while I'm doing dishes or vice versa, you know, some, something like that. And so just playing together and learning each other's love languages, being able to go deep and also being able to have fun and just full bellied laughter. Those have been some ways that I've cultivated the friendships that I currently have. Thank you for sharing that. That was very practical. You know? <laughs> no, that was really great because it's one thing to hear about deepening your relationship. There could be a million other interpretation of what one should do or could do, right? 
But what mm -hmm. you share with us is very practical. Hey, go on these retreats. And then with these type of exercises that you could do to deepen your personal relationships. Let's mm -hmm. shift here to the more on the professional side. How do yeah. you cultivate your professional relationships, acquaintances, associations, such that you can deepen that level of trust, relatedness, intimacy, connectedness, all of that? Yeah. I'm not exactly sure how to answer that question because it's not so different. So I, I, I recently left an organization called Consciousness Hacking that I love. And it's so special. It's like, I, I haven't really heard of this before, but, but, but at the end, the four of us were so close that we were able to tell each other that we loved each other. That if there was like, I mean, I was going through a really difficult breakup a year or two ago, and I was able to be really upfront about it with them and ask them if they could help me cover so that I could just lay in bed and cry for some time. And it was just so beautiful and wonderful. And I just don't think that it's so different from the way that we make friends, except we compartmentalize as a society of like friends and then professional. But I would definitely say that I'm friends with every single person there. And, and I guess professional for me is kind of strange because it was, I was getting paid to build community, to help people feel connected. And not everybody has the luxury of that job. And so I think for me, I got really lucky that, yeah, connection was a part of my job. I didn't really feel exactly the same way when I was working in corporate. So I used to work at Square back when it was private and then I was there while it went public and I loved my team. We would go on lunches, we would ask each other, hey, do you wanna to go to the snack bar or the coffee bar? We would sometimes slack each other funny things or stories. And so it really did feel like a little family when we were together but it didn't feel quite as close or cohesive as when I was on a really small team at Consciousness Hacking. And I think that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. When you unmute yourself, I feel like that's like the, the breath. Well, I have a lot of background noise. So. so I guess one thing to distinguish here because a lot of people are talking about high level networking. LinkedIn is huge, you know, build your network. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. There's different schools of thought in my mind, what you personally prefer is the level of intimacy where you can be a holistic human being, not just I'm a professional, I'm a, I'm a, your personal friend kind of thing. Is that accurate the way to recap now that you say it that way i think that there are certain personas that i have tried to put on when i was a professional but i want to be really holistic i want to show up eventually one day i want to be so aligned that it's not going to be so different when i show up in a professional setting versus a social event that i go to like that's what i want to be working towards I don't use LinkedIn that much. And I would say that I don't feel a huge fear around finding career opportunities 
because of my friend network. So like, if I put out on LinkedIn that I'm looking for a job, I might get some people who are looking for that specific thing. Like, oh yes, the role that you're looking for, we have that need. But if I post it out on Facebook, which actually that's how I got my every single job in tech is I posted it on Facebook to my personal friends. And um, also I am privileged and lucky that I came into one salon as a community, which is full of tech people. So as a tango teacher, when I got laid off from Sidecar, which is a ride sharing company that got that got purchased by General Motors and everyone got laid off. Like when that happened, I posted on Facebook and all these people from Google and Facebook and Dropbox and LinkedIn and Lyft and Uber were all like, hey, let me help you. So, so I think I am privileged there that the community that I dropped into happened to be in tech, but it was very much personal friends that helped me professionally. But I want to say, I want to make a distinguish though. We're kind of going back and forth a little bit, but we're talking yeah. about social currency that is human relationships. That is the atomic unit, whether it's personal friends or professional or community yeah. building or even nation building, right? Because you can scale that to South infinitum. Okay. So I want to focus on this. Uh, it's still relevant to those of you who are listening to, if you're worried about, you know, business relationships and so forth. My point is you have gravitas, you have your words, your request. People care about you. Therefore, mm -hmm. when you put out a, a note saying, Hey, I lost my job with Sycar, a lot of people wanted to help. Not everyone has that. Mm. So I wanted to distinguish the difference between why are you able to do that and some people are not. Even though let's take the, you know, all your friends or tech companies and so forth out because that certainly I'm sure that plays a role, right? They're engineers, they may be founders, this and that. Okay, so cross that out. So mm -hmm. just on the gravitas part can you tell us a little bit about why are you able to do that more than someone else who may be also in one salon as an example mm -hmm. just don't have the gravitas that you had yeah i think there's that comfort with speaking to strangers and making connections and like being able to help them immediately i think this is something that doesn't come naturally for a lot of people in the beginning for for me luckily it did come naturally but i have some friends who were like kim how can i how can i learn how to connect people and then i think i remember saying well maybe when you meet someone and you start to have a conversation you can think of all the opportunities that you can connect them to because for me i automatically do that i'm like i meet someone Oh, I feel like they can connect to these five people. Oh, they need a place to live. I remember these four people posted on Facebook. But like it does take a little bit of like cognitive energy in the very beginning, but it is totally possible because I have some friends. Um, one of them is in Bali. Her name's Helen, who I think she's an excellent connector of people. And yeah, she just connected me to a connection conference. She's like, hey, will you facilitate this conference? And, uh, but I remember she asked me that question when, when we first met. So it is definitely possible to bring value to someone that you just meet. Mm. Um, but that is something that I do. Like I meet someone and then 
I think of ways because it lights me up to be able to help them. And I think that already builds a connection. I see. And so, so let me just unpack real quick. Mm -hmm. We blew through it. So you find rather you find enjoyment, you find fulfillment, you found satisfaction by helping others. Yeah. That's the core. Yeah. It's I think not so. like in order to, oh, I'm going to help you in order for me to feel whatever. Right. Right? It's like a natural thing, organic thing that you just naturally enjoy. Mm -hmm. And then when you meet someone, automatically you start thinking about how you can help them and support them. Do you have any specific checklists that you run through in your head? Do you use a software to organize the 500,000 people that you know? Is there anything, again, I want to make it practical, right? Yeah. So are there any things that you do uh, unconsciously to do that? I mean, if it's unconscious, then it feels like intuition. <laughs> but if I have to like really think about breaking it down, yeah, I think it's like, my friend Helen likes to say that she visualizes that I have a Rolodex that's always rolling of things that I can connect people to. And so I think for me, it, it does feel very much like intuition, but I do know that it is possible to learn it. So I, I, yeah, I don't think you would like that answer because it's not so practical. We, we can brainstorm ways. Sure. Why not? So let, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. What if when we meet somebody new, we can say, how can I bring delight to this person's life? Mm. And that was the only question. Like that was one question that we asked for one week. Mm. Every time we meet somebody new, how can I bring delight? Then suddenly I'm digging. Like there's curiosity involved. I think that I think a lot of people get turned off by meeting others who are not curious but just want to speak. I think when your question is how can I bring delight to this person, then you say, well, what do I ask them to to know what it is that they need? So then I start to ask them questions like, oh, what's something that lights you up? Oh, what are some of the highlights and lowlights that you've had in the last year if it's the beginning of the year? Or did you learn anything that excited you recently? Or how are you spending your time differently these days than before COVID? And so like all these questions start to populate as little strings to pull on for me to figure out what it is that they need delight for. But to be quite honest, I'm not like coming in with an agenda of trying to delight. I think it would be a really good exercise for a week mm. or two weeks or a month or whatever that is, but it's not the way that I am all the time. I'm not always trying to be like, how can I help this person? How can I help that person? It just kind of comes up naturally um, as right. the conversation progresses. Right. Because you already have honed your either, either naturally gifted or honed your skills to get to the unconscious confidence level. Yeah. Right. So it's very intuitive versus if you're a beginner of doing anything, it's very mechanical. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to add one more thing, which is I used to carry a bag of intense questions around mm -hmm. with me everywhere in this manila envelope, I cut them all out. I, I hosted a one salon on like, what's, what's a question that you think is an amazing question? I had everybody, like 50 people write their questions on the board. And then I typed them all up and printed them all out and then just had them all, all with me. And then I would use them because I didn't know what questions to ask. What would be an example of the question? Just oh. so that my listeners know. Like I, same examples as earlier what is something new that you would like to learn in the next five years? Okay. Or yeah. Or like, what is something that you hope to say to your mom? 
but haven't? What is something that you wanted to say, but have been too scared to say? Mm. And I also, I think we also did like, uh, did 36 questions from New York times. Mm. I also did those that we also did some, some events on 36 questions. That one had like, we only had space for 30 people and like a hundred something people showed up. It was mm. crazy because people wanted connection and we didn't know what we were doing, but, but I did like, I, I didn't know how to ask questions very well before the curiosity was there, but I didn't have the words to formulate it. And so now I've actually bought a bunch of, you know what? I'm going to show you. Like I, I have them right behind. Sure. So I have, I only have two decks here, but in my San Francisco home, I probably have five or six decks of just questions. And when you have these questions with you, like these are from, what's your word? I got this for free at Wisdom 2.0. And then these are parents are human. My friends Candace and Joseph built these. And they're these bilingual questions that you can even ask your parents. So here there's. Mm, that's a good one. I like, like it. English and then there's Chinese. I like it. So I, I just, for a while, like probably two or three years, I carried questions with me everywhere I went. And then soon I, I somehow I think I lost that bag of questions. Maybe at the Startup Grind conference, it's quite possible. I think I had the start, like had the bag out at the Startup Grind conference at an empty table and some journalists was like, what's happening at this thing? I was like, no, not, nothing. I think that's where I lost the bag. Mm. Um, but after that, after I don't really need the bag anymore. I've memorized all the questions and they've given me a framework to be able to ask things that I'm curious about um, yeah. for training wheels for a couple of years. Yeah, the quality of, of your life depends on the quality of the questions you ask, right? You ask stupid questions, you're gonna get stupid answers. So I love that you collect questions. I'm a I'm a connoisseur of questions as well, as you can see. That's why I started the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I appreciate that. Thank you. I think that's also important. Say more about that. I think there is a certain way of being able to speak and articulate clearly that is first of all a great conversation starter but also a conversation continuer and there are some people that i've been really curious about but they speak so like you know really softly and i can't hear them at all and like and and it's actually really difficult to maintain a conversation with them mm. um, and so i think there is a little bit like I, I almost don't like saying it because it's one of those skills that you can hone. Yeah, but I, I do think that being able to articulate does draw people. Hmm. Thank you for the reminder. I'll speak louder. <laughs> I, I didn't feel I didn't I didn't feel that at all from you. you were <laughs> oh man. I mean, everyone's on a journey, right? I'm kind of being facetious, but I used to be that person who mm. just, you know, have a lot of constraint around my vocal cords, who mm. wouldn't speak loud. And it's a conscious, I'm at the conscious competence stage. Yeah. So if somebody reminds me like, what? Then I'll speak a lot louder. 
But Wait, one thing. You, yeah, sorry. Huh? Go ahead. But I, but I'm kind of a bimodal where I'm like super quiet or super loud, and if people are like, oh my god, <laughs> my ears. <laughs> How did you make that switch? How did you notice that you were so quiet that it was hard to have a conversation? Well, the 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 leaning in. Yeah. A very obvious thing. Once I started paying attention, right? Mm -hmm. you, could you say it again? You know, things like that. Or I thought it, whatever I said landed and then they do something totally opposite of what mm -hmm. I told them to do. So these are the lack of communication indicators. Right. Did you notice anything changing within your relationships when you started to be more aware of your speaking patterns and change your speaking patterns? Uh, we are on a journey. So I think I can always be better at delivering my communication voluntarily versus involuntarily, right? Stylistically as well, a uh, way of being as well, how I ask my questions as well, how I ask the person, hey, did what I, can you give it back to me what you heard to make sure that whatever they heard is what I deliver? Mm -hmm. as well. These are all different like techniques. Doing this podcast certainly helps a lot as well, mm -hmm. right? some practice of navigating the space of, Hey, I, I pitch you something. Did you pitch it back? Is it a yes? And, or was it blocked? And is it okay for me to ask certain questions around. So this has been a really beautiful journey doing this podcast. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Cause I, I don't remember when I made the shift, but also I've been a voice actor for a long time. So I think since I was 10 years old. And so I think that I had already been work, working on it at, at a, an, an age that I don't really remember. Mm, mm, mm. So let's bring back, all right? <clears throat> let's bring back to more community building. So to say someone, uh, actually, I'll give you a perfect example. You cultivated 50 plus cities mm -hmm. for consciousness hacking. And in my experience, running a volunteering-based organization is one of the hardest things. Not to mention international, not to mention empowering the individual chapter leaders to run their own thing, mm -hmm. keep them motivated, right? All of that. So tell us a little bit about mechanically or, or even psychologically, how you and Mikey and the rest of the team are able to do that for mm -hmm. international organization, voluntary run, something that's you know, in my mind, a great accomplishment. So Mikey is the one who started making it international also by accident. People said, Hey, I, I want to start one in New York or in LA. And, and so he would help them out. So there wasn't really a system other than talking to Mikey about it. And then they go, but from running one salon, there were a few things that I realized were really important. One is that it's really hard to build community without a community. The way that I would onboard new chapter leaders was, I think there, there was somebody from Tokyo. Let's, let's just use him as an example because Tokyo is doing so well. Tanner was like, hey, I want to, oh, there actually, there was another person from Tokyo who says, I want to start a Tokyo chapter. And I said, great. All you have to do is find one to three partners who will start it with you instead of doing it all alone because community Burnout is so real. I see. Co-conspirator. Yes, co-creators. Co-creators. And finally, somebody else reached out from Tokyo. And 
I said, great, I'll connect you two and see if you want to work together. And together they started that community. Mm. And I think that is one of the most important pieces because it's totally possible to run events solo, Mm -hmm. but it is so easy to get burned out. And I've experienced that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of community organizers have experienced that, especially the ones who've been doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. So just having a team, like your little mini community of community builders Mm -hmm. is so important for running like a a chapter that will stay, stay alive for a long time. Mm -hmm. One other thing that I learned personally, I want to share with my audience is that so have co-creators, Definitely, I'd be on the other side of not having one, running solo and getting burnout. So totally listen to Kimberly, okay? So one ritual that is really helpful to keep this co-creation happening is having regular calls. So that way you're always, there's a touch point on a weekly basis so you can check in with everyone. I think Mm -hmm. having that is super, super important and also super useful. Yeah. Please. Yeah, thank you. I actually think that one of the reasons why I decided that I was thinking about leaving one salon was because I was running a lot of it alone for a long time. And then I built that team and then I left. Your question was, how do you run? Okay. Right. The 50 chapters. How did you guys cultivate that? So once you have your little team, so that's my first step. Like I make sure that they have a team. Then I also had built out like an agenda that they can look at. And then, so, so, so there for consciousness hacking, I mean, for, for any organization, it could be any sort of agenda that you want. I usually had some sort of connection in the very beginning and some connection at the very end. Yeah. So time to allow them to connect with other people. I see. Yeah. So for consciousness hacking, I frequently had what's called a walking meditation, which was inspired by many other like facilitators that I'd seen over the years or at improv class or at dance class or at Burning Man. And so I would have them walk around to feel their own bodies and then to connect with each other slowly with eye contact. Something that I, I had learned from a design for dance conference was to start looking at the spaces between people during walking meditation and then to start looking at the people and noticing the colors of their hair their sh- and then to look at just the color of the eyes, just scan to look for the color of people's eyes. And that's, eye contact is usually really hard for people who aren't used to it. And if you're just looking, if you have a job, which is to look at the color of their eyes, then it's much easier for them to start with eye contact. And then for them to maybe stand in front of another person and I might give them a question or a prompt or an imagination um, that they can ask each other that increases an in intensity level. Mm. Yeah. So that they're pause, always pause for a moment. Mm-hmm. I want to say um, in the end, community building is about human relationships. And what yeah. you just so beautifully illustrated is you made it easy to connect versus no, no standards, no rituals, no nothing to mm. say. And then, and what you're going to de- evolve into is just a bunch of people standing on the sidelines, mm. having, you know, drinks and say, Hey, what do you yeah. do? Right. So you allow them to easily build that, cultivate that connection with each other. Right. Right? 
Totally. Especially for people who are shy. Like people forget that I'm shy. They forget that I'm that girl in that bar in Turkey with my friend Colette going, come on, you're going to go talk to that person. I'm going like freaking out in my chair. Mm-hmm. Like they, they forget, but I, I've practiced a lot since, since that moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like as a facilitator, like I always want some connection in the beginning that is facilitated so that people like are delivered a question. Like here, how are you making a difference in this world? It was the question. It wasn't me. So suddenly it's less scary and a little bit less vulnerable, even though it's a vulnerable question. Mm. And so then the facilitator can deliver that question and then everyone's answering it. And it's just a little bit easier to go one layer deeper than, hey, how are you? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Maybe three layers deeper. So so I give them the schedule and I give them like, oh, how, how do you do this? And then something that's really important is, Hey, I live in San Francisco, which is an incredibly liberal city where people have done eye gazing. So let's take Tanner as an example. I, I hope that he, he won't mind. Who is in Tokyo? I said, you know, the culture in Japan is really different. I don't think that you can do eye gazing mm-hmm. because in Japan, it's disrespectful to look at each other in the eyes and people are so uncomfortable with that. So right. are there ways that you can brainstorm with your team to make all of the exercises that maybe I gave you to be much more culturally appropriate. Mm. So please like, and I want them to put their own flavor into it. I want them to be the leader. Like their community never needs to know that I exist. Mm. So, so that's the the first, the first step was build a team. And then I give them a schedule that they can look at just to see that it's possible. And third, I want them to appropriate it based on their community, Mm. their culture. The Mm. fourth thing that I do is I ask them to bring in the people who are the best fits for the community and start small. Like they look at the San Francisco chapter and they're like, wow, there are 500 people in your audience for this one talk. Mm. How can we get there? How can we do the marketing? And I said, you know, if you want to build a culture, if you want to build a community, you need to start with the right people first. Conscious mm. hacking started in a living room with eight people. Mm. Just like one salon started in a living room with eight people. Mm. Like what if like what does it look like to get the first four people or the first eight people who are the right people? And if they have such an amazing experience, they can bring in their friends. Mm. And so I really urge them to start small with the right people and then they'll bring their friends. So let me ask you, so let me do a cross-reference and then bring it back. Mm-hmm. So I study Rick Warren. He wrote the book, Purpose Driven Church. Mm-hmm. I'm not religious by any means, but Rick Warren built one of the mega churches in Southern California. So I'm naturally curious mm-hmm. how he did it. So he wrote the mechanics, how he did it in the Purpose Driven Church. And one of the tenets that he said is, and so there's a lot of similarities. I yeah. feel like I should read that book. Yeah. No, no eye gazing in the church though. But so, but what he did say is have a very clear vision and have a very clear manifesto of sorts where you are clearly identified. These are my people. These are my cars. Mm. And then he made it really easy for his sub chapters to hold. For example, he would, he would essentially prioritize his sermon. Here is the uh, small group topic. Here's what you guys talk about. Essentially very, very similar to what you did for mm-hmm. your chapter mm-hmm. leaders. So there's a lot of similarity in the way that you articulate it. 
Sounds like we're on the right track. <laughs> yeah, that really, go ahead. No, no, continue, please. Yeah, it reminds me of one salon when all the organizers and I wrote down, we said, saloners, we strive to be, and then we listed curious, and then what that meant, empathetic, and what that meant, growth driven, like, you know, and, and so there was a certain list of attributes. And suddenly, like, that's in every event description, people are like, oh, I want to be these things. And so they would come. Mm, beautiful. Okay. Anything else we wanted to talk about with community building on this topic? Because we had talked about. Yeah. Right. Okay. Maybe marketing. Okay. So I think once that core group is built, there is marketing that you do put on top if you want to grow that. But I think it's just a lot of community builders just want to go big first if they forget the small. So once that small consistent, oh, okay, I missed a step. There's the consistency that people know that every single Tuesday, this is going to happen mm -hmm. for one or for consciousness hacking. It's every other Wednesday, just block it off on your calendar. Mm. So I always urged the um, organizers to say, maybe you want to start with a once a month thing. Then it's the first Tuesday of every month. Then you can just announce saying the first Tuesday of every month, mark your calendars, we'll have an event. And so it's that consistency that drives people to come back because if church was sometimes on Sunday and sometimes on Monday and sometimes there's no church at all, I just don't think it's going to be as successful as it is. I, 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 that, that sentence you just really hit home for me. If church is sometimes on Sunday, sometimes on Tuesday, and sometimes nothing at all, it's not going to have the, yeah, that one's very visceral. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, consistency is really important. And then, I mean, do you want to touch up on, on, on marketing? I mean, we did do a lot of marketing, but once the community was already set. I mean, a little bit of that. I would say the dip, most difficult part of any community building is that zero to one moment, right? Once yeah. you have, Once you're at one and you have regular audience, regular people that come over and over, then mm -hmm. you can certainly use marketing as a fuel to expand the fire. I'm mixing analogies all over the place, but you guys get what I'm yeah. saying. Totally. So I guess it's not that important. It just comes if with consistency. Well, uh, um, so even though you are saying have a manifesto, have value statements, understand who you want to serve, but it's really messy, right? It's not so clean cut. Like we know exactly what we want from day one. Typically it's like, oh, it's, it feels good. It's a good idea. Something about it is working. People are coming back and we're kind of teasing it out throughout, right? So it's mm -hmm. an evolution process. So how do you discern in the evolution what to throw out, what to keep? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's not always very clear from day one. These are the people we want to serve. These are the values that we have. This is the KPI that we want to hit, blah, 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 right? This is the business model and so forth from day yeah. one. And then, so love to hear you say the evolution, the untangling of the evolution. Yeah. For me, but maybe not for everyone, because I come off as a more casual and connected organizer than super clean and professional. But I experiment with a lot and I do a lot of social experiments. And sometimes I'll even say social experiment. 
and then invite everyone and they'll come and I'm asking for feedback and they're filling out a feedback form. Um, so I do experiment with a lot of things. Like one salon had a ritual called salon introductions and I didn't make this up, but I changed a lot. Like everybody would get into a circle. We used to, we used to start with one circle and then we had to break them into sometimes six circles because we had mm. so many people, mm. but we would say our names and do a movement and then answer a one word answer to an intense question of the week. So we started like putting in a question of the week mm. and, and sometimes I would try like, instead of doing a name and a movement, maybe like if it was a chocolate making workshop that I was doing that day. Maybe we would like do a pleasure noise all together, like, mm, or yum, or whatever, something silly that was. And so then I would change that frequently ish. And then at some point I was like, wait, people aren't really connecting. Why is it that people are still really awkward? And I'm like, oh, they need facilitation. So then I would say, well, now find somebody in the group that you would like to get to know better one or two other people so you could be in groups of two or three and ask them why they chose the answer that they chose to the intense question mm. well then I would start adding those in and things that didn't work like I would try dropping them out and like I tried dropping out one like salon introductions one time and an avid salon like salon goer was like why did you drop that out I love that and so we put it back in so like <laughs> I experimented for sure Got it. yeah Got it. All right. So good. So you're, you're, you have a, also an experimental mindset about what, you know, you're constantly tweaking things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Beautiful. And here, and you listen to what your customers are looking for, right? Listen to your friend who said, why did you drop it out? Yeah. Beautiful. Anything around marketing you want to say about that? By the way, you don't know this, but I used to host uh, one salon in Santa Monica. What? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but, but however, I did drop out because I didn't have a co-creator. Mm. It got really, you know, just, you know, kind of random steam and I was not having a good day. So I stopped. Yeah. Yeah. So perfect illustration of what not to do. <laughs> right. Um, Even the original chapter, Palo Alto stopped running because it was one person running it for yeah. a while and then he burned out. Mm -hmm. Yep. So when I talk about marketing. So how do you so say you went from zero to one, there's a spark, there's a, a nice following. How do you grow this fire to this wild fire that spread to 50 cities? Yeah. Well, the spreading to 50 cities, it was mostly inbound. The only outbound person was Seattle. Uh, I met my friend Lauren Bailey and she was just so perfect. Her mm life vision was aligned with consciousness hacking. And so when I told her about it, she squealed. And then I said, Hey, do you want to run the Seattle chapter? And she said, yes, but most mm. people wrote in mm. like it, it, it kind of grew itself. Mm. People were looking for something mm. like that mm. and, or people passed through the San Francisco events and came up to me and said, Hey, I live, I live somewhere else. I would really want one in my, in my city. Where can I find it? Mm. And I might ask them if they want to start one. Mm. And so I think it like it, the most important thing is not about like, I want to start a community in 50 cities. It's like, it's, it's about, I want to start one community and it does so well that other communities want to start one. Yeah. 
Dan Solomon um, is a uh, founder of the Strategic Coach. Yeah, Dan Solomon of the Strategic Coach. He articulated so beautifully. He said, "Life is about uh, unlocking other people's capabilities." Mm. Like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. If you're unlocking other people's capabilities from one to one, you could do that with one to many. You can do that to many to many, right? So, really beautiful the way you articulate. You know how you have grew. Small cities to fifty cities all over. I want to add another thing, which is like we documented a lot of the stuff that we did. So I don't think that a lot of the chapter leaders outside of San Francisco or New York or the friends that we had knew this for one salon. But we have a playbook, and it's open source, and you can、oh. go in and you can look at all the activities that you can do, like how to bring in a speaker, how to find a venue, like all、nice. of this. Is all written out and yeah, I can send it to you. Please do, please、yeah. do. That would be very, very useful. Yeah, it's it's like kind of first draft and hacky, but we wrote down what we could during the time when we were spending a lot of time on that. Yeah, progress, not perfection, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's one more thing that I wish that I had known, which、mm-hmm. is to create an offboarding system for organizing. Community organizers, because yeah, burnout's gonna happen, or life is gonna happen, or like someone's gonna have a kid, or move on, or go to a different city. And something that I wish that I had known, that the a mistake that I had made, was I wish that I had written in a framework on how to offboard yourself. That like two or three months before you start to put the word out that you're looking for an organizer, and I did this for myself, but I didn't write it into the playbook. I. Like a year before I left, I told everyone I said I'm leaving in one year,、mm. and then I identified like one or two new people, and I said, "Hey, like in six months or a year or so, would you be interested in organizing one salon?"、Mm-hmm. And and、uh, and they said yes. But then after I left, and then after some pe- other people moved and had jobs, and like one salon was dead for a while in San Francisco.、Mm. It's alive now. It's every single Tuesday still right now,、mm-hmm. like even though it's five years later. But it really was dead for a while, and I wish what I had done was be able to write out this playbook of like three months before. Here's what you do. Here's what you tell people. See、mm-hmm. if they're interested. Here are the attributes that we're looking for for another organizer, and here are the ways that you can train them.、Mm-hmm. And、um, and that's something that I I didn't do so like luck. I got lucky. In the case that it was revived, when how how difficult was it to revive it? Because one may say it's easy. Oh, it's always easier to start a new idea versus reviving、mm-hmm. one that's hasn't been around、yeah. for a while. So talk a、yeah. little more about that. I got lucky. I mean, one of the people who's running one salon is one of my best friends, Michael Gassiorik, and he's also very much a connector and. Co-creator of many sorts, we've made a lot of shenanigans and friend retreats. But last November, I was running a workshop for community builders on how to build community, and I said, "Hey, Michael, can can they test their communities with one salon? Because you have a Facebook group of three thousand people, and like, and I have a bunch of pretty experienced facilitators who want to experiment. Can I channel them, funnel them in one by one?" And do something like this, and I think something like that just excited him so much that he went off and just revived one salon and brought the team together and had all the conversations that he used to say. Honestly, I didn't do much. Like, 
I was just curious to see if I can funnel people in. And then suddenly like Michael is so the right person because <laughs> he just made it happen. But see, that's the magic of connection, right? The magic of connection is not one-to-one. -one. Let's force them to meet with each other. Like it was a dud. Okay. You know, nothing happens. Ideally, what you would like to see, what I like to see is one-to-one, -one, all of a sudden, boom, a new company is formed, new movement was formed, something magical that I didn't anticipate it formed. And right. actually, I, I've seen that in my career where I was just like, hey, so-and-so should meet so-and-so. And then six months later, uh, a new company was born. And, and now this company has 250 people and it's value at $500 million. Like mm -hmm. it all came from one off the top of my head introduction. So yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I, I love that you say that because it's not always strategic. It's like, you're asking like, how do you do this? It's like, well, I did it this way, but it wasn't necessary. Like I really wanted to help. And, and that has created so many chain effects that have been beneficial, but that wasn't the original idea. I think that like just putting out a lot of like helper feelers have helped make me, you know, have, I don't even know if successful is the right word because I, I'm still dealing with what that word means for me. But like, I think a lot of the, the gems came from accidents that came from just wanting to help others. So do you naturally, I mean, I hate to bring it back to the practical, right? But I won't, I'm going to, because that's my job. So, so other than thinking about, Hey, so-and-so I thought of you, I think you should meet so-and-so would you want an introduction? That's a very organic way of doing it. Let's talk about the use of technology as a way to expand that more. So now these days we're social distancing. We have the use of Facebook and Twitter and Twitch and YouTube and all these wonderful technology platforms that allow us to amplify our voice, our presence, our questions. Uh, and, and now we have Zoom to do that in real time, right? So what are some of the instances that you have seen that you've experimented yourself to use technology effectively to be that catalyst for helping for connection, for magic, for miracles. Hmm. I've become much more introverted in the last couple of years than most people have known me. I, I was in the public for a while from like 2015 until 2017. By the time you met me, CK, I had already walked away from that a lot. So my answer will probably be biased towards like very close, deep personal connections, but I yeah, think creating right. rituals of like, <laughs> I counted my hours. I have 52 hours of rituals per week, like committed rituals with different people, like my personal development group. Like yesterday I had my artist way group where like all of us are getting together to to talk about how our week went and our artist date and what it was like to write every morning, morning pages. There is somebody named Skylar that I meet with just to throw ideas out. Yesterday, uh, or just right before our call, I was meeting with someone named Chloe and we had met on another Zoom call to brainstorm a community thing. And, and I think it's just really being intentional that when you meet somebody, like let's say at a conference or let's say at a Zoom event, 
you can private message them and say, hey, I really liked what you said over there. My email address is this. I'd love to connect this week. And to set that up for smaller connections. Or like I'm in a 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership course. And in fact, I'm in two of them. And I probably spend 10 hours a week doing this kind of stuff. Here, here's a little shout out. This book is looking old and I have multiple copies. But I wrote in the channel, I said, hey, does anybody want to practice today? some of the things that we've learned mm -hmm. and we did one practice and it went so well that we're like great do you want to do it recurring on Mondays at the same time and so like I think it's the recurring things kind of like that you know church doesn't happen just a one-time thing mm -hmm. and I think it's the recurring instances of being able to to do it over and over again that makes me feel really connected so I don't feel super lonely during this time I do lack touch. I do miss like human touch and contact, but, but I do feel that I am connected because of these recurring deepening commitments that I do have with people. Mm. Yeah, I know what you just share perfectly illustrate the point of my question my, the, the question was, how do we use these technologies to cultivate relationships? And you made a distinction of what, you said it's not about going wide and shallow. It's about going deep and specific, right? Mm -hmm. And you said that, so here's what I heard. You said that, hey, I have all these things that I'm interested in. And someone said something that resonated. You would private message them and say, hey, what you said really resonated with me. Let's connect for one. And, and you will also say, hey, I'm going to practice anyway. With somebody else needs to want to practice with me. And then if you like that, then you go to your second date of, hey, let's make it a regular thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that way you're cultivating that depth of the relationship versus just a one-time thing. Mm -hmm. uh, that actually is very helpful for me because I'm the kind of person who liked a lot of different things, but I don't always take the, oh, or maybe I would just do the initial touch, but I don't make it into a regular thing. Yeah, so that was very actionable for me personally, even because now I can say, oh, OK, I like this person. I want to cultivate a relationship Let's mm -hmm. to a regular thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's like some friends in the Bay Area that I'm closer to now, like my friend Sini. We were like, hey, do you want to write for an hour in silence? And so we did. And I said, hey, do you want to do it tomorrow? And then so we did. And then we he was like, hey, do you want to do it tomorrow? And then we're like, hey, do you want to write every day? And so every day for the last six weeks. At 5 p.m., I write in silence with my friend Sini. I love that. I love that. Yeah, but but it's it wasn't like a one-time to an everyday thing. It was like a one-time to a two-time to a three-time, and then like, hey, this works really well. Do you want to try it for one week? Right. Yeah. So that first date, second date, third date, right? You don't – I'm using another analogy here. You don't go to someone and say, boom, do you want to get married? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can, but the chances of them saying yes is very, very low and the good yeah. turnout is very, very low as well. So you start with maybe a 15-minute coffee date, first date, second yeah. date, third date, you know, to build on that intimacy, that relationship, that depth, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. Well, my friend, we talk a lot of different areas. Thank you so much for being so generous. So let me do a quick recap to the best of my ability. We had talked about consciousness hacking. We had talked about one-on-one -on -one relationships. We had talked about community building. We had talked about 
that like the different tactics, how you use to help the initial fire growing into 50 cities. We、mm-hmm. touch a little bit about、uh, the marketing side of it, not too much. We'll talk about the, the actual experience design part of it. So out of everything that we had talked about, if someone just to go out to do one thing, what would, what would you want them to do? One thing. One thing. Yes. Out of everything that we talked about, what's one thing? CK, why do you have to ask such hard questions? <sighs> consistency.、Mm. Yeah, my one thing is consistency. And it shows up not just in community, but also in the people and in your practices. So I think consistency is my, my main thing. Yeah. It's one of those things that's simple to say. It's very challenging to adhere to. But at the same time, I will underline this consistency is this focus on the disciplines. That's the word that I use. Focus on the disciplines that's truly important for you. So, and hold those with high, high, high regards. And because with that, then you have stability and certainty. Then you can go out and experiment with all other things. But hold on to the disciplines and really give you that certainty. That's truly important for you. All right, my friends, thank you so much. If anyone who's interested, who's inspired, who wants to follow you, where should they go? There is a Facebook group called Connect,、uh, not a Facebook group, but a Facebook page.、Mm-hmm. And so you can link that below. And, and if you message me there,、um, you'd be able to, to get in touch with me. Beautiful.